Just a few days after I shot this interview with Cyrus Shepard, who is the ex-head of SEO at Moz and who infiltrated the Google Quality Rater program, Google decided to shut down the program abruptly. Coincidence? Yeah, actually, I think so. I don't think we're that important. Still, quality raters are one of the earliest steps that Google takes when they create a new algorithm update like the HCU that affected so many of you guys. Their work evaluating existing SERPs against potential new updated ones is what fits Google's machine learning algorithm that then creates the updates that affects your site. So when a talented SEO like Cyrus becomes a quality rater, that gives you someone who has excellent insights on how Google evaluates your site and where you fail to impress them. So in today's episode, I'm not beating around the bush and I'm asking the questions that matter, including how much does EEAT really matter for Google and quality raters? Does Google give an unfair advantage to larger sites? Or what's coming next from Google based on the updates they've recently done to the quality raters guidelines? We even look at some weird subs together and try to understand why Google ranks the site they rank right now. Overall, I had a ton of fun talking with Cyrus and I hope you have a lot of fun listening to our conversation as well. Before we jump into the interview, I have to do one last thing and that is introducing today's episode sponsor, Search Intelligence. Search Intelligence is the ideal partner if you want to build high quality digital PR links to your website and I'll tell you a little bit more about them later, but for now, let's jump in. Welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast. And now your hosts, Gail Breton and Mark Webster. Hey, Cyrus, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining. How are you today? I'm excellent. It's, it's great to uh, be talking to you. Uh, we've known each other online for years and years, and we, we recently met in real life. So it's great to be on your podcast, and thank you for having me today. No worries. I mean, yeah, we didn't have much time to talk in China as you, so I'm hoping to like catch up a little bit this time. But today we're going to be focusing on your experience as a quality rater, right? You kind of like infiltrated the back end of Google and became a quality rater yourself. I want to start like, why did you decide to do that? What was your motivation? That's really interesting. I think that's a great question. I think a lot of people miss out on that a little bit. I've always been fascinated by Google's use of quality rater data in their machine learning algorithms. And they don't talk about this very often. I mean, it's just one sentence in, in a document they published a few years ago. Google wants us to believe that quality raters are only used to evaluate the algorithm. They don't influence rankings in any significant way. But what they don't tell us is they use all of that data for machine learning. And they don't. that's the part they don't talk about that. So I thought if I became a quality rater and I learned how those people were judging thousands of results a day, I might get some insight into the data that Google was using for their algorithms, especially as a part of their machine learning algorithms. And that's what I really wanted. I really wanted that insight. Also, I thought it would make a good story. I think it was a good story. I think a lot of people got interested in what you had to say after this experience, right? Yeah, absolutely. It, it was a fun experience. It was a lot of fun. The funny thing was for me initially was I was really cocky. I, I thought I'm an SEO. I, I know everything. I can pass all these tests really easy. I failed the first the first time I took the test. I'm like, geez, this is really hard. Most people in the SEO industry have no idea how hard these tests actually are. It's really kind of interesting. Yeah. Were you like kind of like, you know, what kind of people do they recruit for that kind of job? Were you like overqualified or were you underqualified? Like what? How smart are the people who do the, the yeah, that, search engines, right? It's like, what do they go for? Yeah, really good question. So a little overview. They employ 17,000 people all over the world and they, they cover something like 70 different languages. So, you know, all the Google search results are covered. Uh, and the pay, though, is terrible. It's like here in the United States is $15 an hour, which is kind of not it, I could get $15 an hour working at McDonald's down the street. So it, it's not that much. But you have to be fairly educated to pass the pass the test. You have to almost have like a college level education to understand the the hundreds of pages of instructions um, and the qualification. So you have to be fairly well educated. But again, it's not it's not the greatest job. There's no benefits, you know, anything like that. So it's it's great for people who want to work from home and maybe they're, you know, maybe their parents who just have a few hours here and there. You can work whenever you want. So you have to be intelligent, but it's not the best job. Yeah, okay. It's interesting because it's like it probably impacts like how things are rated depending on who they're recruiting. You mentioned an exam though. It's like how do they train you? Like how do you become a quality rater? You're not just thrown at the job right away, right? You have some stuff to do before. Yeah, and I need I need to qualify this and say I'm still working as a quality rater and I have an NDA, so there's there's a few things I can't talk about. Most of those things are really boring. So you sign up, you take some qualifying test, and then you take the big tests. Then the one thing I was really scared of was they said I had to pass a background check. 
And this was, I was nervous about the background check because obviously I have a Twitter presence. I was worried that they're going to see that I'm sometimes critical of Google, which I am. So I, was, I submitted the background check and it came back instantly and said, I am not on a terror watch list. So that was, that, that was the extent of the background check. Uh, and to this day, they don't seem to care that I, I work as an SEO. No one's ever reached out to me. I do my minimum hours every week uh, and it's good. Okay. So you basically have to take that exam and then you get thrown into the walk. Yep. What do you do? What, 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 is, what does a quality rater do? Yeah. Okay. So I think I can say there's two, two main things that a quality rater does and a few, a few others. One, you judge search results. And this is just taken from the quality rater guidelines. I, I'm free to talk about it. So you're, you're given search results and you rate them on a needs met scale. Uh, this doesn't meet the needs. And these results meet the needs perfectly. One thing people don't realize, I'm going to jump way ahead, uh, is that sites that meet that I reach the highest score of needs met, those are reserved for navigational queries. I am looking for the Facebook login or Amazon uh, return policy, meaning I'm asking to go to a specific web page. Those are the only results that get the very highest score. And that was kind of surprising to me, even though it says that in the quality rater guidelines. The other job that quality raters do, which is actually more interesting to me, is rate the websites. And that's going into every website looking at their navigation, looking at their, you know, their EEAT, the quality of their content, using, you know, the 100 pages of the quality rater guidelines to rate them on this huge matrix of qualities and turn in a final score for every website that you look at. I think I can say that's the most time intensive part of the process. I was going to say, like, how much time do you spend per website? Do you go deep? Like, how, do, how deep does a quality rater do go yeah. when they evaluate your site? I think I can also say, I'm always worried in these interviews I'm going to get fired by saying too much. But <laughs> but you have a timer running. You know, they can see everything that you do. So sometimes a task takes, I'd say 10 minutes is a typical time for a task. For some things, it can take longer if it's, if it's really complicated. But that's, I think that's something that people should realize that someone who's just going through rating results all day long, they're, they're not spending a lot of time on your site. And sometimes they have to look very, very quickly. But when you do it hundreds or thousands of times, you kind of learn the tricks. You sort of know just by looking at a site, you know, this is spam. Just like you and I are used to looking on the internet, look, this site is selling links. This site, you know, is you know working on an affiliate model. It looks like they don't really know what they're talking about. You know, as humans, we understand that kind of instinctively, uh, Look, you know, working in the industry. And so do quality raters because they're doing it time and time again. And you sort of know pretty quick what a website's about. And you'll get rated on that. That's one thing. Another thing people don't realize. Raters get rated on their rating. Because if you're scoring sites that are way outside the, the average, you'll get a note on that and you can see that, hey, you're, you're rating sites way too high or you're rating sites way too low. I don't think I've ever mentioned that before, which I probably shouldn't. Okay. So basically you are rated yourself and probably you, maybe your ratings have some weight depending on your rating or something like that, I guess, in the internal system. Yeah, exactly. As you move up in the organization and gain experience, yeah, you're, you, I, I think your ratings do gain more weight compared to newbies. Uh, on the ground. Yeah, okay. So you, you basically build your karma like you would on Reddit, basically. Very similar. When multiple people agree with you, you probably gain some like uh, some credit, etc. Yeah, okay, and that's, that makes sense. And what surprised me is it's not it's not subjective. They consider that there is a right answer for every website. Sometimes there's a range. You can be uh, moderately meets to moderately meets plus but you need to be within a very specific range and there is a right answer and a wrong answer for every website according to the guidelines if you apply them rigidly. Okay, that's interesting. And when you investigate the website, do you stay on the website or do you also search externally? Do you actually look at social presence, reviews, trust pilots, like things like that? Yeah, I, and I think I can confidently say because it's in the guidelines so I can talk about it, that yes, you do look at other sources, especially when... when I'm trying to understand what the query is because you'll get some weird query that you don't understand. So you have to go on Google and actually try to understand the query. But also when researching a website's reputation, and there's some guidance in there about researching who a website is, who authors are, uh, their social media presence, do they actually know what they're talking about? Things like that. So yeah, 
you are looking around the internet. So you're Googling around, but like, do you just use Google? Like, isn't that like a self-reinforcing prophecy if you use Google to rate Google? A little to, bit. You know what I mean? Like a, a little bit, especially especially when you're trying to in, determine what the intent of a query is. You know, you're looking at what's already ranking. So yeah, it, it's definitely a reinforcing. I'm like, eh, okay. Yeah, it's a little bias in a way, basically. It's like, it's a, okay, interesting. One thing that you shared in your Chiang Mai SEO presentation is that the quality raters, or at least you, use these three dots next to the search results to read the about the source uh, to try to decide like, you know, how good is the website basically? Is that something all quality raters do or is that something that you do? That's something that I do because I realized, so if you read the quality rater guidelines, there's a section in there on how to do reputation research. I think this is more important than, than people realize. It, reputation isn't important for all websites, but for high your money or your life queries, where you know it's financial or it's health, reputation becomes more important. So in the quality rater guidelines, they give you these instructions on how to do reputation research. I realized that little hack, if you just look at those three little dots and say more about the site or about this site, it gives you the same information as all the other hacks that Google gives you. So it's just a shortcut that I use. And it's real. I think it's really useful for SEOs and agencies working with clients to look at that information, they can quickly see all the information that Google has about the site and uh, it works really well. Yeah. Okay. I want to actually try something a little bit interesting, a little bit interactive for you here. I want us to type a query and that query is best mouthwash for bad breasts. Not that I've searched for that, but it's an interesting query and you'll see why. So if you can search that for me, uh, you should have the same results as me. And it's like, it's interesting because it's, you know, what would typically be an affiliate query. If you check your email, by the way, I sent you a screenshot of Ahrefs that shows you the SERP six months ago so that we can actually talk about essentially things that have changed on that query. And you will see that pretty much nine out of 10 results have changed on that query completely. Historically, that query was ranking fairly large media sites, so NBC News, Prevention.com, Insider, Forbes, for, you know, a classic roundup review affiliate, you know, they list you like five, 10 mouthwash that you can use, right? Now, if we check this query, if we check the number one, you see the number one is actually a dentist in New York with a low authority site. And tell me what you think of that page. This, this, this site is 3vddental.com, uh, if you see it. Right. And it used to be it used to be NBC News. Interesting. Yeah, this is a this is a great example. So what I'm seeing and what I think we're we're sort of getting at is now as a quality rater, I would look I would look at this 3V Vental and Best Mouthwash for Brand. I don't know the brand, but that's okay. But it looks like a real business. It is. It's a dentist in New yeah. York, actually. So they're not trying to hide anything. They're not trying to sell affiliate links. They're not trying to sell ads. Uh, so, so they have a little bit of trust in me. They have their phone number in the header, you know, so just, just as a human and a quality rater, I'm looking at this site going, well, okay, this looks like a real person. So I'm sort of trusting, and that seems to be the direction Google wants to go, especially with their last few updates of the quality rater guidelines that advocate for real experience. So I think this is an interesting result, especially since it's not an affiliate, it's not ad supported. It's just a local guy doing it, you know, running, running a dentistry. So I, I kind of trust this result. Yeah. So I, I think this is a, I think this is a pretty good result. I don't think it's the greatest, but I think it's pretty good. Okay. Now, if we look at the number three, so you have a, people also ask, you have YouTube. Number three is Listerine.com, right? Did what I would call a pretty low effort article, if you check it out. It's basically a comparison <laughs> table. And, <laughs> and they're all and Listerine. A under, and they're all Listerine, all, all like, how is that not a, a very biased result? Uh, and, and how can I trust this as a user? Like, how would you react as a quality rater? Let's say you come across this with your job as a quality rater. Like, what would you say about this SERP? Uh, and what would your feedback be? So we got two two things going on, uh, and and one Listerine is a well known brand, right? So I personally think uh, there are some bias in the quality rater guidelines when checking a site's reputation. That for well known brands they get, they get a little bit of a pass, and I think Google's trying to address that in their most recent release of the quality rater guidelines. But you know, definitely get a pass. But from a needs met point of view, I would have to say this only moderately meets. This does not. This does not highly meets the user search query because they're obviously just pushing Listerine. So 
I think when I was scoring this, it'd get right in the middle. And the other site, the dentist site, would definitely rank ahead of this in terms of needs met. Um, but yeah, I, I think Google is trying to, you know, Google is stuck in a rock and a hard place here because you have a mix of authority signals and Listerine has all the authority in the world, but the, the result isn't that good. It only, it only sort of meets. So I think Google is trying to mix up the results a little bit. So we have a mix of results. So they all look a little bit differently. So low authority, great answer, high authority, mediocre answer. So I think that's what's going on here. Don't you think there's a problem though? It's like, what's the incentive of the dentist to make a great page Given the fact that the probably most of the visitors are not going to go to the you know to the office and and get a dental check because they're not from New York, <laughs> it's like to start start with, and it's like how is that building an ecosystem where essentially everyone finds what they're looking for here and there's an incentive to maintain the page basically. That's an excellent question. Uh, I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure the dentist has never got a single customer off this bad breath. Exactly uh, right. Yeah, <laughs> but good for good for them. You know, I work. I you know, I also working as a quality rater is only a very, very tiny part of my job. I also, you know, I mostly work as an SEO consultant and, you know, I work, I work with attorneys and other service industry businesses here in the U S that have this exact same problem. You know, they have this great content, but they're like, it doesn't generate us customers. You know, what's the incentive? You know, it's usually best when it's, when it's hyper, hyper local, but the funny thing is some of these people produce really great content, especially especially in the construction industries, how to fix my roof. You know, it's the local the local people who are like, this is how you do it, uh, that produce some of the some of the best content. So I don't know what the answer is. That's a, that's an excellent question, but I'm glad people like this are producing content like this. Yeah, it's something I'm seeing actually, like the real like there's a lot of mess in Google right now. There's a lot of spam, right? It's like, well, let's agree with that. Like, Parasite SEO is crazy. Large sites writing about irrelevant stuff. Actually, this SERP number nine is Yahoo Finance that ranks for best mouse watch for bad breath. It's like, it's not very relevant. But I also see a lot of like good sites actually also rising when the effort has been, you know, the needle has moved very much to the right uh, in terms of high quality. I'm compiling a big list to share eventually. But like, talking about this Yahoo Finance result, like, how does that end up here? Does that matter when you're a quality writer, like how relevant the site is? Because I feel like some of these sites get away with murder in terms of writing about irrelevant topics, you know? Yeah, I think so too. I think it's especially bad for the more risk there is with your money or your life. I think the results get worse because Google is favoring the large brand authority sites. And so they're allowed to just produce crap uh, content because they're a trusted brand and you know they're not going to kill anybody. My teeth aren't going to fall out by following their recommendations. So Google's like, okay, we'll we'll put them up because you know they're trusted. They get the clicks. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I really want to go to Yahoo Finance. Let me let me to look get at some that. mouse wash advice. Let me get. Yeah, you know, I'd give this a moderately meets plus. It's a little better than the Listerine because it has. I mean, yeah, it's 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 not it's not the greatest, uh, but it's not going to kill anybody. And we know Yahoo, so it's okay. It's okay. Yeah, it's it's a low risk page to put there if you have nothing else to put. I guess that's kind of yes. No one ever got fired for ranking Yahoo. So yeah, they like them a lot in Google Discover these days, apparently as yeah. well. So it's like uh, let's stay on this surf for a second because I want to use your three dots about the source trick on the first result, right? On the three uh, vdental.com. If you check them out, you can see that Google actually uses all the Google My Business information to give the background information. So you get the NAP, so like name, address, phone number, you'll get the reviews, and you get like, you know, the directory listings, etc. Yep. That makes me wonder if a lot of sites that dropped recently just lack of data in the eyes of Google. And like I was thinking even like we're Atari Hacker, we're just like selling trainings, right? Mm -hmm. Should I have a Google My Business to repeat on Google and give more background information? Yeah, that's that is an awesome question. One thing I, I think I'm of two minds of this. One, I love reputation research because I think it's I think it's important. But on the other hand, I think I don't think it's that important for most people because a lot of sites have, if we did this exact same search for Amazon, we would see a mix of really bad reviews uh, with good reviews and, and things like that. I'm working, I'm working with a client right now that has a, a fairly poor reputation, but all their competitors have a poor reputation because they work in the real estate niche and, and no one, you know, they, uh, no one likes to leave a good review for that. But if you're a large site, like authority hackers, you are almost certainly getting visited by quality raters. Uh, 
a few times a year. And they are they are 100% definitely looking at this type of information. So I would definitely make sure that you're, you're having those things, name, address, phone, you're paying for, you know, here in the United States, we have Better Business Bureau, you know, wherever you are in the world, paying paying those review sites to get good get get good information. I, I think it's only a positive uh, to have, make sure this page looks good to anybody who, who looks at it. And it's not complicated. As you said, this is really basic information. Uh, and it's pretty easy to do. It's pretty easy to get these, these pages and these links and these reviews. So I would say it's a no-brainer to do it because it just checks one more box. It's not going to rank you, you know, skyrocket you uh, in the ratings, but I think it's going to help. Would you do specifically a Google My Business though? Because like it's like it's normally for local businesses. Yeah, uh, and it's like I'm not selling anything locally. So no, so I wouldn't do Google My Business, but uh, I I would get yourself, you know, like like Zippy.com. I, I talked about this in Chiang Mai a little bit. If you don't have a lot of presence here, if you don't have a lot of listings, you know, just putting yourself in startup or business directories is a good way to get going. Look at where your competitors are getting these mentions. For me, doing this right now, podcast is a great way to get mentioned because, you know, you might have a page on your website that says, you know, about this podcast, about Zippy. And then Google says, wait, he's talking about Zippy and it will show up on this page. So things like that. Just look at where your competitors are and where they're getting their mentions and then try to get the same place. It's like traditional link building, I guess. Okay. Before we keep going with the interview, here's a quick word from our sponsor, searchintelligence.co.uk. How much do you think this digital PR campaign is worth? Wait just one minute before you answer. Watch as we hijack the news, we tell you Swift and Barbie to get you the links. Now we can take this data set from ONS and paste it right into your emails to get you the links. Now how much do you think this campaign is worth? Don't answer! Wait until you see Bloomberg, BBC, Forbes, top tier national and regional news outlets, reactive PR, data PR, expert commentary, over 70 team members at your disposal. This product is so hot, I need a fan! And then, listen to what campaigns we do at no extra charge. Gain character wages, bananas and sleep, best dates for dogs, luckiest UK areas, and many more. All for just how much did you guess? 10,000? 20,000? Even more? No! It's just 5,500 pounds. That's right. It's five and a half grand. It's an incredible value, but it's true. It's digital PR from Search Intelligence. Order today. P.O. Box. Searchintelligence.co.uk. Accept B2B clients. Thank you, Search Intelligence. If you want to start a digital PR campaign with their help, head over to searchintelligence.co.uk. Now, let's get back to the interview. I mean, I guess we're kind of bridging naturally into EEAT here, like kind of like showing credibility, etc. How do you like, do you specifically have like a section of your review to looking specifically for EEAT factors when you review a website? And what do you look for? Yeah, okay. So I don't want to answer that specifically, but I'd say it's a good idea that quality raters probably do look for EAT specifically. And the Google guidelines go into it to it quite a bit. Again, going back to just being a human and someone like you who looks at, you know, thousands of websites all the time, our BS detector goes off. Like looking at the dental site or looking at the at the uh, Colgate site, we're like, do these people really know what they're talking about? And so when I'm looking at a site, I'm looking at their their navigation. Does this is this site look talking about you know oral issues? Oral issues that sounds dirty. Are they looking at dental issues? Are they talking about dental issues all the time? Or are they talking about as in the Yahoo example? Are they talking about finance? Are they talking about other articles? I'm gonna say ah, things like that. So. One thing I've been doing a lot with clients lately, and this is probably my biggest takeaway from working as a quality rater, is I've been doing a lot with UX signals uh, to try to demonstrate expertise. Changing, if my links just say about my navigation links, about home, blog, that doesn't demonstrate a lot of E. I want to, as a user quality rater, I want to demonstrate instantly that I know what I'm talking about. For example, on my own blog, Zippy, I have, say, something like SEO blog, research. If you're a law firm, practice areas. I want to see it. I want to see that all your articles and everything on that page demonstrates that you know what you're talking about with related links, your qualifications, looking at your footer, looking at your header, cruising around. Uh, Google Quality Rater guidelines talk about looking at your about page very quickly. And, and I think it's I think it's important to note that Google says specifically, 
what other people say about your site is more important than what you say about your site. It's kind of like the difference between external links and internal links. And sometimes you don't you don't have a lot, but those internal links and those on-page signals, like the author bio, bios and things like that, they are important, but they're not as important as what other people say about you. Yeah, so basically it's not just about being an expert, it's about demonstrating it almost like one click away from any page. So within your navigation, within your footer, et cetera, and making sure that the naming of it gives that away. Uh, in a way, that's what you're saying, right? Yeah. And I, I, one thing, you know, quality raters are told to look at about pages. I love, you know, so everybody's looking at the footer or whatever, look where are the about pages. As a quality rater, if I see like 10 different types of about pages, you know, about our team, uh, careers, awards, press, I don't even have to look at all those pages. I just know this site is laying themselves bare. They are telling me everything about themselves. Uh, and that increases my trust in them. Uh, so I'm probably going to rate them a little higher if I see all those things that they're really trying to show me, be as transparent as possible and show me everything about themselves. Nice. Well, that makes me happy because that's what's in our EAT training. Yeah. So <laughs> it makes me very happy that to hear that, actually. So the one thing is like you're looking at these signals, but obviously Google then takes you know, whatever you feed and then whatever you feed it and then just transforms it through machine learning to yeah. an algorithm that then automatically ranks websites, right? Yeah. Do you think Google itself looks at the same things or they're looking at proxy metrics? Like, how does it work mechanically? Like, what is Google looking at, you think? Because I guess you, you can't tell. That's an excellent question. And I don't, I don't necessarily know the answer to that. I think there's a couple of answers. One thing is... So yes, quality raters do not directly impact the rankings. Like I, I come to authority hackers and let's say I have a, your site is awesome by the way, but let's say I have a bad day and I find a page that is not good and I rate it lowly and every other quality rater rates it lowly too. So that now you have this page that goes into the machine learning example and it, it's being trained to recognize similar pages and you know the algorithm wants to rate all the pages lowly that it finds like that. And then the algorithm finds your page, it's going to rank low because, because the algorithm was trained on that data. So it's not a direct impact, but it's, it's very close. It looks like a direct impact almost. But now to the second part of your question, which I think people have trouble with this distinction. Is it direct or is it proxy? And I don't know, I don't know the answer to that. And it's, it, and it's also mixed with the other, I think, you know, up, Google has said this in interviews. I think you can find one in Wired Magazine. Up until about 2014, 2015, they were very resistive of using machine learning. They wanted everything manual. And it's only they've only started going over to machine learning and allowing the machine learning systems to take a greater control, you know, the last uh, seven or eight years. So I think they're still, they're still manually tuning a lot of things because that's their mindset. And they're just using the machine learning to sort of inform those results. So I I think it's a little little bit of mix. So there's still someone deciding of like how things are going to be tweaked. Yeah, they they like twisting the knobs a lot and not leaving it leaving it all to chance. So yeah, yeah, I think someone just slipped on the on the console recently and everything just changed, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. One thing is like a lot of people are convinced that small sites have to work harder than larger sites to rank. Do you think it's purely a link thing, or it has to do also with the way you? you rate pages as a quality rater like you are you biased as a quality rater to favor larger sites and does that in, in essence inform the algorithm to favor them yeah okay oh, yeah. yeah that's a really good question i think obviously google has started favoring you know brands over the last 10 years uh, especially with EEAT, you know, try to safety, getting rid of medical disinformation. And a lot of people think they've gone too far in favoring the big brands. And that's why we see Yahoo Finance rank for mouthwash, especially in this last, you know, the HCU update. Uh, people have been complaining way, way too much. Big brands have much too far of an advantage. So if you look at the last edition of the Quality Rater Guidelines that was just published like two months ago, there's some sections in there that say high quality pages don't necessarily need to get a needs met rating that's very high. Uh, and that, that I'm getting into the weeds a little bit, but my interpretation of the, the most recent changes are that they're trying to erase some of the advantage of big brands. Because as a, as a quality rater, if, if I see an Amazon result, I'm asked to rate the web page. You know, I go look at Amazon reviews, they're kind of horrible. The page may be kind of crappy, but everybody loves Amazon. So it's, 
you know, it's a, well, I'm not going to get fired for rating them highly. And I think big brands have a, have a built-in advantage. And I think Google understands that and they're trying to correct it. I'm not sure they're going to go far enough, but maybe, maybe. I think the next big update, big update, which may be a few months away, not, not a core update. I think we're going to see a little bit of that brand advantage go away a little bit. Okay. That was my next question. So great. There's an interesting thing to me that I feel like Google has really missed on the internet right now. And that's like the internet loves short content. I mean, look at TikTok, look at Reels, look at all of like to the point, right? Yep. And I still feel like Google is ranking massive pages where you need to like look for your information in the sea of things. Do you see them trying to change that as a quality rater? Do you think they, 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 they agree with that statement? Or do you like, how do you feel about that? Because I feel like there's almost two internets splitting off the people who consume regular con short content uh, in large quantities and now web pages that still need to be extremely long to rank well. I think that's a great way of putting it, especially with featured snippets. And, you know, I often go to chat GTP if I want a very specific answer and no one wants to consume long pages of content. But I also think Google Google is very careful about changing their algorithm. They don't want to introduce, they make billions of dollars on this algorithm every year. They don't want to make massive changes to it and risk it. And those traditional ranking signals that you and I grew up with, where you're producing the long form content and the relevance of those pages, I, those are all baked in, I believe. And so you see longer pages ranking because that's just the way Google has worked, you know, since 2004. And they're going to continue to work that way. But also looking at from the other side of you, thinking of it from a quality rater point of view, you go on a web page and you see a, a short TikTok or just a snippet and you're wondering about their EEAT. I don't know. You know, it's it's a good answer, but they don't seem like a huge expert. So it's hard. This probably meets the answer, but it's not going to receive a extremely high result uh, because Google wants to be overwhelmed with that stuff. So how do you explain Reddit's ranking so well then? Because it's Reddit? essentially the same thing. Yeah, yeah, right. It's like Reddit's low EEAT. Like who is a user XYZ? Whatever. I think someone at Google <laughs> turned a dial. On yeah, that okay. one. They almost had to in order to... Uh, there was, there was a little bit of guidance in the Quality Rater Guidelines last year about forum sites, about things like that. But man, what we're seeing with Reddit and, uh, oh, Rick Steves, uh, someone shared a tweet yesterday. Uh, Rick Steves Travel Forum shot up to like a million times. So I think someone at Google turned a dial on the, on the forum site. But now we're, seeing, now we're seeing the backlash of that. And maybe that was, that's a question you had where people are starting to spam Reddit a lot. They're starting to spam forum sites. And Google is creating a problem for themselves because they're just creating more bad answers. Whatever, it seems wherever Google points their traffic starts to get spammed and it's just, it's just a whack-a-mole. It just feels like they've offloaded the spam problem to these third-party platforms. They're like, good luck, you know? Maybe that's going to work better. Yeah, and it's also like, as a quality writer, if you come across a Reddit answer, I mean, I guess you can say it has experience quite often baked in the answer, but also so it's anonymous, right? So how do you justify that as a as a quality writer? Yeah. So as a so just going off the quality guidelines again, if the person seems to have actual experience, I think it's okay. As long as it's not as long as it's not a high risk query where you're gonna kill somebody or uh, take all their money. The other thing is just the same reasons that you and I might like Reddit answers, Google likes them too, because it's obviously they're not trying to you, most of the time, they're not trying to sell anything. There's no ads. The UX is pretty good. I can get my answer fairly quickly. There, it's not that there's a lot of trust signals there, but there's a lack of antitrust signals because most sites are trying to sell you something. So it's, it's pretty good. I'm one of those people that uses Reddit a lot because I, I just like I just like getting <laughs> honest answers, especially even for health queries. That's where I go. What, what's your experience with these supplements, things like that? And sometimes sometimes the answers are crap and you got to weed, weed through things, but I kind of enjoy it better. And I think Google recognizes that. But now people are spamming their affiliate links as yes. answers, buying up votes, etc. So it's becoming a problem. Like give it six months and then Reddit is not really the heaven it used to be just due to the amount of traffic it can gather from Google, right? Yeah. I would love us to the I would love the SEO industry to go back to how we were 10 years ago when we were talking about building brands and authority and trust. I don't see that so much anymore. Everything's about rank and rent or parasite SEO and people aren't people 
it seems like the noise on social media, people aren't as concerned about building brands. That's fine. But the clients I work with, you know, sell real products. They they want to build trust. And I hope to see more of that uh, as an industry, that we work more towards, you know, building trust like authority hackers, doing doing those real trust things that last 10 years from now. I don't know what's going to happen with chat GTP. I don't know what's going to happen with Google. But I know that in in 10 years, people are still going to want to trust people online for information. And I think people that are in it for the long term should invest in that. I agree. I mean, that's what we're trying to tell people to do uh, regularly. It's it, The thing is, like, it has not necessarily been easy recently. Like, essentially, Google has displaced a lot of, like, even smaller brands that are trying to do that in exchange for Reddit, in exchange for all of that. And and there's been a lot of false positives. A lot of people who do decent sites also got hit by these recent HCUs, etc. So it's like, I believe there's going to be some correction this year. That's kind of my, my gut feeling. Like, just seeing the state of the subs right now, I'm like, I don't think it can last. But it's like, Google has essentially created that spam problem by displacing all the, uh, like I've seen a lot of small players in Chiang Mai, essentially having legit sites getting hammered by HCU. And then they're like, well, I'm just going to spam AI now, you know? And then it's like, Google's just create. And then if it works, if it works now, if like Parasite, these partnerships and spamming Reddit is the best way to make money online, Google is going to be trash in six months if that, because everyone's going to just flow into this, you know? Yeah. And I think there's a risk for Google when Google changes the the ranking so often that creates a disincentive for businesses to invest in marketing. I work with some some pretty well-known affiliate sites and when when their rankings go down all of a sudden and they have to lay off people and they have to re reconsider their strategy, you know, Google is sort of shooting themselves in the foot because people are going to stop producing good content because they they just can't rely on Google to deliver them traffic. For they disincentivize good partners, and that's that's a bit of a problem, basically. Let's go back to the um, to the quality rate of stuff. Like obviously, like big sites, a lot of big sites rank for everything. Like, how much does relevancy count when you're looking at a site ranking? Like you're opening the site, and like again, you see that answer on Yahoo Finance. Like, how much does it count, and and how come this is happening, basically? This is just my personal theory. I think there's a couple of things going on. So I have a query and it's it's I like best toothpaste or best mouthwash brands. And I'm rating search results as a quality reader. And I'm going through and you have 10 results here. Maybe you have another 10 results here and you're just going through this one's good. This one answers my question. This one doesn't. This one doesn't. And I think that's the part of the data that Google uses when they talk about we use quality raters to evaluate search results and determine which algorithm is better than the other. And then the other the other side of it is, again, rating the, the individual websites. And that's for quality. And I think there's two, they're using those two scores for two separate reasons. And I actually, I kind of forgot what your question was. But going back to authority, I think it those high authority sites still get a pass because even as humans, we have biases. When we see, even when we you and I see Forbes, we might be a little biased knowing it's not just, it may not be the best, but someone put some effort into it. They paid somebody. They're going to get a pass. So I, I think authority does play heavily and more heavily than it should in Google's algorithms. But you know, everybody's trying. A lot of talk about UX around the recent updates as well, like people using too many ads, etc. It's also one thing where I feel like a lot of big sites probably have an advantage, especially around responsiveness, because a lot of small sites tend to maybe look great on desktop, but then to try different screen sizes, try a, a weird tablet, etc. And it's like, it's not going to be as nice, so it's going to be maybe overloaded with that. It's like, how much does it matter when you, you're evaluating a website? And how much should people pay attention to this, basically? Yeah. So there, there are specific sections in the Quality Rater Guidelines that we may care about, about ads covering covering the content or distracting supplemental content. And it's funny, as a user... When I'm cruising a website on my phone and I see an ad, I see a site that's just kind of terrible, I instantly go to AREFs and I look at their organic traffic. And, you know, 80% of the time, I see a huge dip. 20% of the time, it surprises me. I'm like, wow, this site's doing great. And it's almost always a site with lots of links. Uh, and it seems like Google just, ha it's not, it's not an either or, it's not a subtle scale. Either if you, if you have bad UX and you're a low authority site, 
boom, you're, you're done. But if you get an instant pass and you win, and I, I feel like there should be some more leeway in Google's algorithm. It's either an on or an off. And, uh, and it's never one thing. There's no line that people know they're crossing. Uh, you're either in or you're out. And people don't know if they're doing wrong or right because sites like Newsweek, which ranks really well for a lot of news queries, terrible UX, ads cover everything. Every time I'm on the site, I'm like, why isn't this penalized? But it, you know, it ranks because people trust Newsweek, I guess. Yeah, it's like, despite the bad experience, they, like, the information makes up for it, basically. So I guess it's not a all black and white thing. Yeah, it's, it's tough. Well, sorry, go ahead. No, I think it's tough because if you have any background in legal theory, people have to know when they're breaking the law. People have to know what the law is. Uh, but Google doesn't want to tell us what the law is because it changes all the time. It's very frustrating to site owners when they get hit by HCU or something else, and they see other sites getting away with the same thing. It's very, it's difficult and it's really frustrating. Have you worked with some clients maybe on improving their UX and seen like improvements basically? Is that something you've experimented with yet? Yeah, we have been doing that with a few clients uh, and we have seen some improvement, but not as much as I would like at this point. And I think we're waiting for the next, uh, and this has only been in the last couple months, what I've been telling my clients, and I hope they keep paying me, uh, is that we're waiting for the next, even though we've seen some improvements, we're waiting for the next big update to happen. And I've had some personal sites that I've been working longer on UX improvements, and I've definitely seen an uptick. But those were sites that I started improving four or five months ago. So it takes a while. People want to see instant results, and some of these updates take three to six months to see a significant change in uptick. Yeah, one of the takeaways that came out from another podcast is that, you know, between core updates these days, you kind of play in your lane, and you kind of like are in this kind of like tunnel and you can't get too high or too low. And core updates just change which league you're on. You know, it's like that you get reclassified, right? So yeah, exactly. It's it's kind of like uh, sometimes it takes a couple months to when you build links to see the impact of those links. Sometimes it takes a while for the uh, Google core updates to take your data into impact, especially and and I would I would give that advice to anybody who's been hit by a core update or HCU or anything else like that. Give it time because Google is using six months of data or more sometimes on these updates. And sometimes it's going to take six months or even a year to recover to get back into another level. That's a great way to describe it. Uh, get back into another lane to get reclassified. The old stuff still works. Building links, uh, creating new content. If you've been hit, all those classical things can get you to the top of your lane. They're just hard to do. Yeah, fair enough. One thing I'm doing right now is I'm actually building a big list of sites that have been going up since the recent updates to just to learn a thing or two, basically. It's just how we do things here. And one thing I've noticed is a lot of the blogs, particularly, that have been going up have comment sections, active comment sections. Here's an example of a website that you can check out if you want, shavercheck.com. Shavercheck? Yeah, it's an affiliate website that reviews electric razors. So talk about a competitive industry, and it's a DR32 or 33 website. It's not a big site, but if you check their rankings and if you check, you see they rank for like best electric shaver and best electric shaver for sensitive skin and everything. For That's one of the examples, but I have several others where they have a very, very active comment section. And I'm wondering if you guys are instructed to look for that and if that's something that's positive in terms of rating the website. Yeah, I so... Uh, as a quality rater, I don't have, I don't think there's really any specific direction to look for uh, uh, comments, but this is really interesting. And this is a really interesting example because who comments on a, on a shaver blog? But, but you know, uh, Gary Ilyas of Google has always, you know, I think he said something cryptic a few years ago that comment section shows that the site is active and well-maintained. And I think we've seen, you know, anecdotal stories on social media about sites with comment sections that seem to do okay. So are you going to put a, a comment? Do you have an active comment section on authority hackers? We do not. We used to have it. But yeah. the problem with comment sections, as you know, is oh, people's they're horrible. Spite. <laughs> yeah. They're absolutely all, horrible. Often the questions are bad or it's just like irrelevant or yeah. something like this. It's a great example is Backlinko, Brian Dean, who sold the Semrush for, he says, millions of dollars. I'd like to know how many millions it is I, and how do I get that deal. But he famously had a comment section and he replied to every single comment. He replied to every single email. And I think, you know, it probably it probably made a difference. 
So maybe I'll go turn comments on on Zippy today. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I'll send you some other examples. I'll just need to go look into our database. But uh, we're, we're building a database right now of like a bunch of these sites that have done well. They've done gone the opposite direction of where we've seen similar sites going and trying to understand what they're doing, basically. Uh, the other thing I'd say, uh, while you're building it out, I always wondered if... Uh, I always thought the default sort order should be newest comments first towards the top of the page so that Google can see it's more recent, but that's getting in the weeds yeah, a little bit. That Most people just use default WordPress comments, to be honest. And I'm not sure like this cast is crawled properly, for example, and it's kind of like an iframe or something. So I'm not a huge fan of running that. So I, probably you just need to tweak the WordPress comment system. That's probably the, the easiest way to do that. Yeah, 175 thoughts on the best head shavers for men. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> it's like, who would But he replies as well. He does the branding method, actually, which is, uh, which is very interesting. And I think when people see the author reply, they're more likely to drop interesting comments as well. So there's, there's kind of like a, a virtuous circle to be building up here. On one of your slides in Chiang Mai SEO, you also share a slide from Google where they share that they do not understand content, that they use the response that people have to a document to understand whether it's good or not. Do you think, when Google says that, do you think they mean they look at how people react on google.com or they look at how people react on the site itself and where do they get the data from? Excellent question. And this is this is probably one of the biggest things I think we've learned, potentially learned uh, in the past year, that how much Google relies on user data. And from the trial that the US Department of Justice has sued Google, from the trial, most of the data that they were talking about was in Google search results itself, but also Chrome data. So looking at and that implies that they're looking at the user interaction data on the website itself, if they're relying on Chrome, uh, because they could track the search results in any in, on any browser, uh, Safari or whatever, but Chrome, they need to get with, see what the user's doing actually on the website. So I think a little bit of combination of both. And it's that's a really interesting uh, topic of conversation. Yeah, I, I won't say any more until you ask me questions. Yeah, I mean, my personal experience is that if I, for example, email a blog post, it's much more likely to rank quickly for its target keyword. Interesting. Like it's anecdotal data, right? It's not something that I would teach as like, this is the truth, this is how it works, etc. But that's my experience. And it's like, if I send traffic to a page, it, it tends to, it doesn't necessarily mean it's gonna, quite often it, it bumps and it doesn't necessarily stick as well. Like it might, you know, bump for a while and kind of like jump back down. Um, but it, it just gets to where it's gonna get faster. The same with social media, sharing on Twitter and LinkedIn, you know, sending as much traffic as you can through as many accounts as you can. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. So that gives me the impression that either Chrome data is used or Android data is used. Google Analytics, I don't think that would be like, without stating it in the terms of use, it's like, I don't think that would be very clean, but like in Chrome and Android, I think there could be some room for them to use that data. And that's a competitive advantage, right? It's like against another search engine. Yeah, and they said they said in the trial, the only reason Chrome exists is for the user data. Without the user data, Google doesn't really have a business and there's no reason for Chrome to exist if, if they can't get the user data out of it. So yeah, hugely important. Enough that it made me want to switch my browser. I haven't, but it, I want to. But they probably use all Chromium data. So that means every browser except Safari and Firefox probably send data. Why do you think they make Chromium free and open source? Yeah, I, that's a good question. I don't know the specifics of that, but yeah, that's a, that's a very good question. So if potentially it, it, Microsoft is sending data to Google yeah, through Edge, yeah. for example. Yeah. Okay. It's interesting. How have, like, you know, you've had that experience. You've been a quality writer for more than six months now, right? Yeah. And I need to preface this and say I do minimum hours because it's a really boring, terrible job. <laughs> so I do, I log just enough hours to make sure I don't get fired. Fair enough. At this rate, I can understand. Yeah. How did that change the way you do SEO now? Like, how did you do things before? And what are like maybe new things that you do or things that you do differently? That's an excellent question. I think the number one thing we touched upon on these conversations, I want people to, when they come to my website or come to a client site, I want them to instantly understand who the site is. I want them to, what they talk about, display their expertise. Here's an example. On my own website, Zippy. After becoming a quality rater, I took a good long look at my site. I'm like, how do people know that I do SEO? They don't unless they dig in to the articles and things like that. So I made a tweak to my logo and now it says Zippy SEO. And as soon as I made that tweak, 
I could see, you know, my time on site increase a little bit, my balance rate decrease a little bit. So, and then I changed some of my navigation links. I changed my footer. I changed all those really easy EAT things that we talk about. And I, I also started answering questions a lot easier. So in terms of needs met, I want to make sure I, the example of the recipe site that buries the answer, you know, at the bottom of the page, I've been trying to do the opposite of that, where I put the answer at the very top of the page. And then for people who want the details, they can, they can keep reading further. And an interesting thing happened, uh, and I tested this on quite a few pages. Interesting thing happened when I started doing that. My engagement rate went down. People were bouncing higher. People were spending less time on site, but my traffic went up. Uh, because I was directly answering the questions. I think Google is looking at those engagement signals. They weren't getting their answer from another page. So just delivering the answer sooner was one of my strategies. So, And to meta answer your question, I stopped thinking like an SEO and I started thinking like a user. What is the, some of the best sites I've worked with as a consultant don't care about SEO so much. They just care about the user. And I think it's because Google says, don't chase the algorithm, chase the user. And the reason is because Google's chasing the user too through Chrome. So if you chase the user, give them what they want, not care a little bit less about SEO, I think paradoxically, you might rank higher. Okay, I think I agree to a point, but for example, my point on short and to the point content, if I was a user, I would rather short and to the point content. That's why people, a lot of people now use AI to answer a lot of queries instead of Google because they're tired of reading through a page that's 3,000 words, something that can be answered in 300. I have seen, I mean, this best mouse watch for bad breasts, for example, the first page that ranks is actually pretty short. Uh, same with that Listerine page. So, Maybe they're starting to get it. I don't know, but uh... so I want to say I want to say something because you're a smart guy that understands the algorithm well. You understand that there are hundreds of ranking signals and they're turning dials. I think one thing I, that frustrates me when talking to people, other people in the industry, they're very binary. They say, "Oh, Google likes links. Uh, Google doesn't like EAT. Google likes long content, but short content's ranking." But it frustrates me because people don't understand. You know, it's just everything's turning a dial somewhere and. There's going to be millions of examples of every type of result ranking in search results. And if you look for it, you can find it. And so there's people, including myself, people have confirmation bias. And they say, this works, this doesn't work, blah, blah, blah. And it's all just a big mess. It's just a big, messy mess of Google, of knobs and buttons and, and things like that. So different things are going to rank at different times. But anyway, that's my that's my pet peeve of the SEO. I, I agree. I think if like an actual scientist looks at our industry, they must be shaking their heads like very... <laughs> Very hard because it's a lot of like who is going to most eloquently present the vision of how Google works rather than maybe like backed by hard data or something like this. You know, it's like there's very much a, a popularity contest mixed with anecdotal evidence. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and I'm guilty of it, too. So, we are all guilty yeah. of it. It's like, that's why I try to tell people to like, not just take our point of view, but mix it up, etc. And it's like, but I, I know what you mean. I know exactly what you mean. That said, links work really well. Especially mine. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. On a scale of one to 10, how good of a job do you think Google does today at surfacing the information you're looking for as a user? That's a great question. I think they actually, non-biased, I think they do an excellent job. The problem is we've become so sophisticated over the last 20 years. Our expectations have risen so much. I think if you were to transport us back in time and show us search results from 10 years ago, we'd be like, what is this crap? This, this should never rank. But our experience has risen so much, our expectations are so high, it seems like Google results are actually crappy because we expect them to be perfect. And they're not too far off, but I think, I think most of the time Google's pretty good. Okay, do you think they've improved compared to six months ago? So before the last three core oh. updates, and SEO, do you think they've improved or reduced in quality? Like, are you, like again, forget the SEO, think of it as a user. I think as a user, Google continually gets better at easy answers, especially with featured snippets or search generative experience. When I want to do deep research, I think Google is worse. I have trouble finding specific things that I'm looking for, especially on mobile. You know, when they, they only give you so many results on mobile, then, then it turns into like this, this Google discover feed. So I think for 80% of people, search results are probably better. For 20% of us that have deeper needs, it's, it's worse. I wanted to bounce back on what you said about expectations. I think it's even better seen on AI and ChatGPT 
because when it came out, it was incredible. People were so amazed by it. And now if you go on Reddit and you read the ChatGPT subreddit, people are like, oh my God, it's so lazy. It's not writing all the code I wanted, etc." And it's like, we're a year and four months in or something like this. And, and the, the level of expectations towards AI tool has risen significantly. Now, if someone releases something even as good as ChatGPT with a different technology, which is still amazing, people don't care at all, actually. I agree with you. And I think if we look back a long time, like pre-Panda, pre-Penguin, etc., it was all spam as well. So it's not much better. Uh, so things have improved. What's your prediction for the next year in terms of SEO? Like, what do you think is going to happen in the next 12 months? What major changes do you see on the horizon? Two big ones. One, I we touched on it briefly earlier in the conversation. I think we'll see a major update released that's a little bit of correction of the HCU update that erases some of the advantage that big brands have. I think Google is very conscious of it. It takes them a while to roll out a correction, but quality raters have been working on these new guidelines for two, two or three months now. And that's usually, you know, usually about three months they have enough data to release a major update. Uh, so I think we're going to see a, a slight correction of uh, the helpful content update. That's number one. Two, I think we are going to see more AI answers enter SERP results. I think people are going to flood, flood the internet with AI generated content because it's working. People are sending me examples privately all the time. I'll send you some after. Yeah. You it's, it's working really well. Uh, and some of, and some of the content isn't that good. Sometimes it's really poor, but you know, that because Google isn't prepared. They're using those traditional, if you have a halfway decent brand, you have halfway decent links and you have a good keyword, keyword strategy, you can scale thousands of articles and rank really well because Google just is relying on those signals that have worked for them for 15 or 20 years. So I think we're going to see a flood of, of content. Uh, that's prediction number two. Prediction number three, I, I said two, here's number three. Going back to the trial, the big Google justice trial, and I don't know what's going to happen with that, but a lot of people I trust that have been watching the trial closely believe that one of the biggest potential rulings is that iOS is going to have to start offering a choice screen of search engines. So Google, DuckDuckGo, Bing, things like that. And so that's going to re have the potential to slightly reduce Google's market share going forward. It won't be noticeable at first. Google will fight it tooth and nail. I'm not sure Apple wants that either. But I would love a world where we have more search engine choice and are optimizing for, for more things than just Google itself. I'm not sure I agree with you on the fact that I want Google to lose market share. The reason why is because, can you imagine a world where you need to optimize for multiple search engines? Let's say Bing takes 30% market share, something like this. Hypothetical, probably not. Probably like 15 Something like this. But let's say we have to optimize like 30% market share is not with Google and then it's, Google has 70. It means you are working with different algorithms, potentially quite different. And the only way I can see us do SEO is starting to make the same page multiple times and then block the search engines that don't match it for that and then just do like five times the same page, slightly different, optimize for each search engine. That sounds like a lot of work yeah, to me yeah, for yeah. the same uh, traffic. You know? Absolutely. And, and further, I don't think it would be 30% or even 15%. I think it's going to be, at when, it, when we start, it'll be like 1% or 2%. But I, you know, I'm an old guy, so I remember like doing SEO in 2004 where sometimes you could get a page ranking on Bing and it would be 10 or 20% of your traffic, weirdly. And it was just some random page and it was like bonus traffic. Now you rarely get anything from Bing, even if for a page that ranks really highly. But I think we, if that happened, it might be, we might get some bonus traffic once in a while. And I would, I would love to see that, you know, maybe, maybe Bing becomes like a, a Reddit channel or, you know, a, a TikTok channel for you, where it's just, it's, it's something you report, but it's not something you regularly optimize for. Exactly. If you start to have to actively optimize for these, I think it's a lot of work, actually. Uh, especially if the same amount of traffic gets split, you know? Yeah, we're going to see the rise of the Bing influencers on Twitter. Like, <laughs> hey, I, I, yeah. How do you think Google's going to tackle AI content? Because it's, it's a big problem now. It's like, if it's working, I mean, people are going to do more of it and then they're going to share on social media and people are, more people are going to do it. Like, it's basically going to be bloated. Like, Google's going to go in the gutter two years from now if they can't handle it, right? There's a couple of theories. There's a couple of options. So one is, I'm not confident that Google can handle it. Maybe they turn up their brand and trust signals or they... Links. Yeah, <laughs> links. But then the people with links are just going to abuse it too. And we're seeing that already. 
So I don't know what's going to happen in the next couple of years, but let's think long term. What's going to happen in three, four, five years? If a question can be answered with AI, what's to stop Google from just answering it with their own AI? Why does Google have to send you to another page? Why can't Google just answer it themselves and put some ads on that page and they'll take all the money? And I think that's probably what they're they're going to want to do eventually. So what are brands like you and I and everybody else that we work with, what are we going to do? And I think we have to be more creative in creating content, creating our authority, creating our brand so that people actually want to visit our websites. And it's not going to be easy answer creation with AI. In the meantime, though, we got two or three years where it's going <laughs> to be crazy, wild yeah. rodeo. <laughs> exactly. Okay, cool. Is there any question on your experience as a quality rater that I should have asked you if you did the interview, what would you have asked that I didn't ask? No, I'd say, have you ever rated a site that you know? Like, I'm Oh, always, that's and, interesting. And, and the answer is no. I'm always waiting to, you know, get a uh, get a site that I've worked with as a client or SEMrush or AREFs, uh, a site popular in the uh, SEO space. But the internet is a very big place. And I just haven't. I just haven't run into a site other than, you know, the Amazons and the Forbes, you know, the, you, you get those all the time, but I'm, but you know I'm looking for something right? more intimate. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, Cyrus, thanks for coming in. Where should people follow you and get more of your content, basically? I guess I'm still on Twitter and LinkedIn and I'm trying out threads, but I'm terrible at it. So we'll see. What's your stance on Twitter right now? <laughs> uh, it's painful. It's painful. But I, I still I took some I, distance from it. Yeah. So many, so many people I love are still on Twitter. It's hard to replicate that experience anywhere else. So it's okay. I'm hoping, I'm hoping it becomes a more positive place in the future. Fair enough. Yeah. All right. Thanks for joining, and uh, see you later. Okay. Thank you so much. All right, I hope you enjoyed watching or listening to this interview as much as I enjoyed doing it. And if you did, I think you will enjoy this interview with Brian Dean, where I talked to him and tried to understand how he built two websites from nothing to DR80 plus with millions of visits per month just from Google. Click on the card to check it out. Mm -hmm.